Men of honor, strength, and integrity have long been essential in society. The Honorable Man Podcast is a celebration of such men. Here, we will discuss men in history and those today that exemplify what it means to be an honorable man. Let's go. All right, let's go. I'm Ed Jones, and welcome to the Honorable Man Podcast, a podcast dedicated to men who've chosen the path of honor, strength, and integrity. If you are looking to become a better man, we think you've come to the right place. Tim Hickey, the Baron, how are you, brother? Doing pretty swell over here. Swell. I um, coming off a, a pretty long week for myself already, and it's uh, it's only the middle of the week, so got okay. some energy though tonight, and I'll bring it again with <laughs> producer Bill. How you doing, brother? Oh, I'm madder than a Baptist in a brothel, brother. <laughs> A lot of bees. <laughs> that is a lot of bees. <laughs> so this week's quote, Tim, what do you got? So this one comes from Eddie Rickenbacker. The four cornerstones of character on which the structure of this nation was built are initiative, imagination, individuality, and independence. I freaking love that quote. You know, those those are the things that we should all be striving for today uh, to to be citizens here, and all citizens should have that responsibility to focus on initiative, take initiative, have imagination, individuality, but always, always have your independence. Yeah. So Eddie Rickenbacker, uh, just just a um, just a great American, just a great American, and doing the research for this um, this particular episode. This guy was prodigious. He did a lot, a lot of stuff, and we're going to talk about uh, uh, some of the things he did. All right, so Eddie Rickenbacker, um, great American, uh, America's World War One Ace of Aces. Uh, here's a little background on Eddie. He was called America's America's Ace of Aces during World War One, the highest score of American aerial victories over the Germans. He could just as easily have been labeled the luckiest man alive. However, since he survived by his own count, 135 brushes with death during his exciting lifetime. So by his count, guys, he had 135 brushes with death. How many of you had, Bill? I know you've had a few. I've had zero, but how many I, of you? I, had, I've had seven. Uh, I, I've literally almost died every operation I've ever had. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, and, and, that, and that includes gastric bypass, several eye surgeries, oddly enough, um, kidney transplants, or, well, two operations for the kidney transplant. So, yeah, I'm, I, I've looked fear in, or death in the eye and... Never mind. I'm still here. <laughs> I, I don't have a count. I'm, I'm sure there are, are many more than I even realized, but my motorcycle accident I'm reminded of. Literally, every time we come to this studio, I was laying in the middle of the street right outside of this studio. So, um, yeah, that was a pretty significant one that has changed me as a man and put me on this honorable path that I currently am on. So that'll do that to you. It's, yep. like, it's like when Alexander Dumas writes in the Mount, Count of Monte Cristo, Look the storm into the eye and say, do your worst, for I shall do mine. Deep. For your literature fans out there. Deep. <laughs> Edward Vernon Rickenbacker was born in Columbus, Ohio, on October 8th, 1890. Wait, so this is an honorable man from Ohio. Huh? Yeah. Hey. O-H. Yes. O-H. Hey. So young Rickenbacker was admittedly a bad boy who smoked at age five and headed, <laughs> headed, headed a group, group of mischievous youngsters known as the Horsehead Gang. <laughs> All right. I think you know what it may, I immediately <laughs> think of little side. rascals. I literally yeah. I go right to little rascals. The email woman game. hater club. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he quit school at twelve when his father died. <laughs> hold on, hold on. He quit school at twelve when his father died in a construction accident. Oh. He, as he and he became the major family breadwinner for his mother and four younger siblings. Dang, twelve. Um, engines quickly became young Rickenbacker's passion, and he found a job that changed his life in 1906 when he went to work for. Lee Freyer, a race car driver and head of the Freyer Miller Automobile Company. Freyer liked the scrawny, scrappy lad and let him ride in major races as his mechanic. So um, Rickenbacker later went to work as a salesman for the Columbus Buggy Company, which was then making Firestone Columbus Automobiles. He joined automobile designer Fred Duesenberg in 1912 and struck out on his own as a race car driver. He soon established a reputation as a daring driver and won some races, but not without numerous incidents and narrow escapes. Although Rickenbacker set a world speed record of 134 miles per hour at Daytona in 1914, he was never able to win the big prize at Indianapolis. 
While preparing for the Vanderbilt Cup race in California in November 1916, he had his first ride in an aircraft flown by Glenn Martin, who was beginning his own career as a pilot and aircraft manufacturer. So right away, this guy's infatuated with speed. Yeah, living on the edge. Kickstart. Yeah, that, do you know how fast that was in 1914? 1914. 134. Holy shit. I mean, we very rarely <laughs> well, get up to 134 today. I mean, yeah, I assume car, it's right? still the same as it is now, but I mean. <laughs> you know what I meant. <laughs> you know what I meant. Damn it. <laughs> oh, no. All right. When America entered the war in 1917, Rickenbacker volunteered despite the fact that he was making a reported 40000 a year at the time. It's oh pretty damn good gosh. for 1917. Uh, wow. He wanted to learn to fly, but at age 27, he was overage for flight training and had no college degree. However, because of his fame as a race car driver, he was sworn in as a sergeant and sailed for Europe as a chauffeur. Um, so he immediately began uh, chauffeuring Colonel William Billy Mitchell's flashy twin six Packard. He pestered Mitchell until he was permitted to apply for flight training, claiming to be 25, the age limit for pilot trainees. So this guy, infatuated with speed, race car driver... Gets into the gets into World War One. Starts saying, "I want to fly. I want to fly." He's not a pilot. He's not a pilot, by the way. Just wants to fly. After only 17 days as a student pilot, Rickenbacker graduated and was commissioned <laughs> commissioned a lieutenant and assigned to the 94th Aero Squadron under Major John Huffer, based at Guegualt Aerodrome near Toul, France. I can't do the the French pronunciation of anything. Um, so 17 days of training. Hey, go ahead. You're flying. And by the way, these were wood, largely wood aircraft, and canvas. wood and canvas. Yeah, yeah. 17 days of training. 17 days of training. He's flying. Wow. Is that crazy. too little or not enough uh, or, uh, or uh, yeah. too much? <laughs> hey, hey, he figured it out. So he developed his own method for um, for uh, <laughs> yeah, dueling, dueling in the air. Uh, his technique was to approach his intended victims carefully, closer than others dared, before firing his guns. He had several hair-raising experiences when his guns unexpectedly jammed. <laughs> he barely managed to nurse his Newport uh, in for a safe landing on May 17th when the cloth ripped off its upper wing. So, again, cloth wings. Yeah. Mm -hmm. just, wow. just insane. Just That's insane. On September 25th, my birthday, by the way, Rickenbacker was given command of the 94th, and on that same day, he volunteered for a solo patrol. He spotted a flight of five Fokkers, which is the name of the German planes, and two Halberts, <laughs> Halberts uh, near Billy, France, and dived into them. So he engages seven planes in combat. One plane. One against seven. Firing as he went through the formation, he shot one of each type of plane down. His aggressive actions that day earned him the coveted U.S. Medal of Honor, uh, though he didn't get it uh, until 12, 12 years later. By October 1st, Rickenbacker's score stood at 12. So in order to be called an ace, you had to shoot down five planes. By October, he's already shot down 12. Uh, he's promoted to the rank of captain. He was the most successful U.S. Air Service fighter pilot alive at the time, and the press dubbed him America's Ace of Aces. He disliked that title, however, because he felt the honor carried the curse of death. Mm. The previous three Ace of Aces were all killed oh, man. in combat. He's like, whoa, 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 I've had many, many incidents now. Don't jinx me. During October of 1918, Rickenbacker scored another 14 victories, shot down another 14 planes in one month. Um, so his, his total is, is claimed to be 26. 26 total uh, uh, um, successful um, fights in the air. He flew a total of 300 combat hours, more than any other American pilot, and survived 134 aerial encounters with the enemy. Whew. Wow. How have I never heard of this gentleman before? I, that's, I, your history, uh, that's your history. Uh, that's his public school system for you. You know, I've, I've obviously heard of him based on the Medal of Honor, but think about how crazy that is and that approach to dog fighting. That's basically I'm coming in hot right at you, and then you're as a as an opposing pilot, you're like, holy shit, this plane's coming and it's gonna hit me, and then blow him up and light him up yeah, with the guns and then peel off. Yeah, hmm. that's a um, much more accurate way to do it, I suppose, but. Talk about big balls, big balls, Eddie Rickenbacker, and that dang. Yeah, that's so we're crazy. not going to get into to too much of it, but the guy's post-war war, uh, exploits are, are insane too. He start, he founded the Rickenbacker Automobile Company, um, the first automobile company, first automobile with four wheel, four off, brakes on all four wheels. Um, he bought Eastern Airlines. He was uh, the owner CEO of Eastern Airlines, and he survived. What was it? Twenty? How long was it? Tim? Uh, Twenty-two days. 
adrift 24 at days. Sea. 24 days adrift at sea. And lost at sea 24 at sea. days on, on his own, like after uh, a, a B-17 went down. And, mm-hmm. you know, he wasn't even by himself. There were six other people. But think about that situation. And um, on a previous episode, we talked about survival and cannibalism. Like, whew. It's uh, pretty crazy. So I got a quick um, famous story from that plane crash and survival in 24 days at seas after one afternoon after they had a prayer service rickenbacker was lying on his back with his hat pulled down over his face when something landed on it a seagull rickenbacker slowly reached up clamped his fingers around the gull's legs held on tight wrung its neck stripped its feathers and ate it boom yeah so when they went in the, when, it, when they went into the water they had four oranges between all of them. There were three rafts. I think each raft had three or four guys. Um, and then, yeah, they were, they were, they tried catching fish. They were unsuccessful. They caught some sharks, but apparently I, the sharks were, they, they couldn't keep them down. They would eat and, and regurgitate what they ate. Uh, so they were on the brink of starvation when that when that gull landed on his head yeah. and he snatched it up and they ate it. I mean, just think about that. How how slow and methodical you have to move your hands to grab a gull's legs like that. But then just field strip it right there. But you know, um, hunger will make you pretty skilled at um, survival at, at that point, I suppose. Or it won't. Or it won't. Or, or, you'll, won't. or you'll die. Yeah. So Rickenbacker was awarded the Distinguished Service Cross a record eight times and wow. was awarded the coveted Medal of Honor in 1930. So, uh, again, I, I can't, I can't uh, tell you guys enough. Go look up this guy's exploits. This guy was uh, just an American legend. And it's, to, Bill's, to Bill's point, it's a shame we don't know more about it. The guy was born in Columbus, Ohio. We're, we're in Ohio, and I don't, I don't yeah. think our schools in Ohio, I don't remember ever I hearing no this guy's name before. I had no idea he was before. born here. Um, hey, and, and to highlight the, the fact that he was not a college graduate. Like, he, he learned all this stuff on his own through real-world applications that from mechanically in um, building the motors and, and cars to all the way going up. Throughout that, you're learning how to fly. Learning how to fly after 17 days, <laughs> but then successfully owning a auto manufacturing company and an airline. It's an like, innovative automotive. Yeah, company. so it's um, it's it's definitely a, a testament to you know, in, initiative, imagination, individuality, and independence. So that's a. Uh, it's pretty amazing. It's such an amazing man to learn about, and um, I wish we could give you guys a much more in, in detail view, but these are always 10,000 foot views of who they are. So it's up to you to go out and uh, do a little bit more research, but talk about a, a BAMF. Does, that, does everyone know what that means? Badass mother Um But yeah, he, he's uh, what we should all be striving to be in, in a story of success through just yeah. living a great story, right? Yeah. He also owned the Indianapolis Motor Speedway after his military career. So there's a, there's a guy out of Austin that sells T-shirts and stickers that say, live a great story. I actually have it on my, on my uh, computer here. Eddie Rickenbacker might have led one of the top five stories of a life that I've ever heard about. And again... I didn't know anything about him. Yeah, we don't know it. We definitely don't know enough. And um, so I'm positive after that 10,000-foot view, like they, there's many, many individual stories that uh, involve that dude that that'll be interesting for all of our listeners to research and, and check out and uh, try to mimic that again, initiative, imagination, individuality, and independence. He exemplified those things. Right on. Right on. So uh, uh, this particular episode's uh, Shit Hit the Fan Prep is we're going to talk about uh, Volume 2 in the Tactical Wisdom series by Joe Dolio called Fieldcraft. Um, Fieldcraft is defined as those skills needed to move, live, operate, and fight if necessary in the field. They are the necessary skills to move and live safely in a without rule of law situation. These skills are geared toward avoiding contact with any potentially dangerous people or situations in a time when help may not be coming. This book contains the skills needed to move, navigate, establish a base camp, and develop information in any preparedness situation. Field sanitation, an often overlooked aspect, is covered in depth for the protection of your health when there will be no doctors. This book lists the training standards and techniques that your family or preparedness group should meet to be fully prepared. It is designed to be a field training manual and a permanent reference as a complement to Volume 1 that we talked about uh, a couple episodes back called the Baseline Training Manual. So Joe Dolio um, has put together just some really comprehensive and easily digestible, I might say, um, books on on 
baseline training and field craft, and then the third volume, I believe, is on defensive positions. Um, but the table of contents for this book, you know, survival mindset, movement techniques, negotiating obstacles, observation, analyzing terrain and routes, establishing a secure site, field sanitation, camouflage, field positions, the gray man, basic urban skills, land navigation, team organization, and movement. Each one of these chapters is only like 10 to 15 pages long. He starts each chapter out with a Bible verse, and then at the end of it, he summarizes it with the basic um, things you should take out of every chapter. So again, cannot stress or, or recommend these books, uh, Joe Dolio's Tactical Wisdom books enough. Um, Check them out, guys. They're they're twenty bucks a pop on Amazon, and they're they're small. They'll fit in your back pocket. And uh, if you ever, God forbid, need to take it to the field and and do some of the things described in here, the this will be a nice um, uh, manual for you for you to live by. And we'll throw the links up in the the notes on when we publish this podcast. So make sure you check it out. You know, Joe is a Marine. He happens to be somebody I have um, our patch ops, our, our sponsor has made patches for. So I have direct communication with him, but he's got over 20 years in corporate security investigations. He's a certified fraud examiner, a certified forensic investigator. Um, the dude knows what he's talking about, and he is sharing his knowledge and wisdom uh, with us all, but it, it's, it's literally, it's a, a handbook to the situations that we could potentially be faced with in societal breakdown when no, there's no rules and nobody's coming and you always have to be prepared. And Joe is a wealth, a wealth of resources. And if you're not following him on um, Twitter or the, his other social media pages, you absolutely should check him out. He's got a lot to say about the current uh, situation and our trend towards a worldwide conflict that our current administration is putting us into. But he is at DolioJ on Twitter. So that's at D-O-L-I-O-J on Twitter. But follow the dude. He's legit. And um, he's going to save a lot of lives with, with his tactical wisdom. Yeah, I, you know, the, this particular passage. The most important element in survival, whether in wilderness, survival, or combat, is mindset. Mm -hmm. Your mindset and will to win can contribute more to survival than any other factor. You must maintain a proper mindset no matter what happens. You must make the decision and determination ahead of time that you will prevail and that you will survive. In a without rule of law situation, there are no timeouts or do-overs. There could be no bad days with a poor attitude. Survival is at stake. The will to live needs to be the foundation for the rest of our preparedness or defensive training, whether it's for a without rule of law situation or everyday self-defense in our current world. Yeah, and it, you know, what they say, I think it is um, General Mattis who um, I have some disagreements with, but the most huh. important six inches on the battlefield is between your ears, and, and Joe echoes that, and that, that's real real um, combat application. So people who have been there and done that and lived in those very few rule situations where that's a complete breakdown, and uh, you always have to, when you're mentally prepared for these situations, they become almost like an automatic response, and you don't have to sit and think about something. So if you get out there in front of it, uh, read Joe's book like it, it's um he's like I said he's amazing amazing devil dog and uh he's all about supporting other marines so um we might potentially have him on our our show at, at some point to talk a little bit more about what he has experienced and how he, <clears throat> those experiences can help us survive so Tim a quick question about your time in the marines so how have they adapted the field craft specific to our excursions into the middle east well, um, so I was stationed in 29 Palms, so 29 Palms, California, if anyone's not familiar with it, it is uh, the largest square mile desert training facility um, in our military, so um, it, it, very different over there, though. It, I don't know how people view um, our wars in the past. Like, you know, obviously Vietnam had a, a very guerrilla tactic style in the jungle. Um, in the Middle East, it, it can be wide open desert or it's urban warfare. Um, so, well, we didn't face that in, in previous wars to the extent in that urban warfare um, stuff where, you know, you're rolling through cities. Like Iraq was a, a somewhat developed country, um, Kuwait as well. So it, it, 
it is it's a change in battlefield but we we're also trending farther and farther away from even that those type of tactics and you know i was there in the in the 90s <clears throat> but now we're getting more into the ai robotic remote type of uh, and look at how just how many people the obama administration did drone strikes on um but these are actually met a when I was traveling, I met a um, group of Marines that that's what they were. They were drone operators, and they do it remotely from the United States. And it's like it's almost like playing a video it's game video to games, them, yeah. yeah. And um, you know, and we're we're advancing towards less manpower on the battlefield, and uh, so it's it's always interesting. But every conflict we've ever been in has, has been unique if you sit and really think about and think that it's um, a black and white uh, you can plan it out like everybody you know what Tyson said everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face but sure. everybody has a plan uh, that first plan isn't going to work because every situation is constantly evolving so it's a lot different and um, but it, it's very valuable when somebody like Joe who ha obviously has much more experience than, than I do in those situations is able to bring back the lessons he learned and gets your mind thinking so that you're prepared so and there there's no rules involved and nobody's coming to help you so it's up to you to learn how to survive and adapt in those situations so um like i'm no expert on any of this stuff so i i rely on the experts who have much more experience and they again they they take the lessons they, they don't take the entire specific situation they take the lessons that they learned so that we can apply those to any situation that could be coming our way. So lean on, lean on the, those people with um, experience and, and we will ha all have a better chance when our, when our minds are in the right place going into that type of situation. And much like every war that we fought has been different. So, you know, the United States is different, different climates oh, yeah. and different uh, topography and those types of things. So you're going to, you're going to come across different topography, different climates within within the country. How we prepare in Ohio is going to be different than how people in Arizona prepare or how people in Florida should prepare. So so take that um, into consideration. By all means, Joe's um, um, books uh, offer a great baseline, um, but you've got to tweak everything a little bit to, to where you're at, right? Hey, I mean, and, and I do want to point out, though, make sure that you're prepared for all these environments. One thing, um, we have a nuclear power plant, you know, five minutes, ten minutes from our, our studio here so we might have to leave our area and retreat to an area that we're not fundamentally adapted to the terrain and, and that type of stuff so this type of stuff that uh, Joe talks about allows you to have that Semper Gumby always flexible in your survival training I, I just recently drove uh, from Cleveland to Las Vegas so one thing I noted coming through Denver and the trip from Denver down to Las Vegas, it was like, man, in a matter of hours, the terrain had completely changed. The entire landscape had changed. The climate had changed. I went from freezing and snow to barren desert to steep cliffs and almost like a Grand Canyon range through Utah. And holy cow, if you've ever driv driven through Utah, it's literally eight hours of nothing. Like I didn't even see um, wildlife. I mean, it's just nothing. So you have to be prepared for that. What happens if we have to retreat from Ohio? What happens if you have to retreat from wherever you're listening to? And they always say in a lot of this stuff, you, you have to have a plan to fall back within four hours travel time. If something happened to the nuclear power plant, we have to 250 miles get away from it. So um, 250 miles puts us could put us at the ocean. It could put us in the mountains of West Virginia. It could put us in the great plains of nothingness. Um, so always be aware of that and always uh, have that forward thinking so that it doesn't matter where you end up. Um, you're, you're able to adapt, but definitely focus on how you can survive in your own climate. In you know the best worst case scenario, I will be at my house defending it and in my backyard defending it, or at a well. We have fallback plans here, obviously, um, but we we will all be meeting at a a property um, that uh, during that drive we we took some Google Maps and and plotted out. Um, plotted out the exact defense plan of that property and, and so find something defendable and, and that you can hold on to but don't think that that plan is going to be the only thing that you have because you might have to retreat from locations that make you more comfortable sure sure 100 percent
All right, this uh, episode's health and wellness tip is, is basic resistance training. So I think most of us know what resistance training is. It's uh, any form of exercise that is designed to improve muscular fitness by working a muscle or a muscle group against external resistance. This includes free weights, dumbbells, machines, medicine balls, and body weight. Body weight resistance training is probably, for my money, is the best one because you can do it anywhere. Hey, that's that's Marine Corps boot camp. So when it, when I went in the Marines, I weighed 147 pounds. We didn't go to the weight room once in boot camp, so you're there for 13 weeks. I came out 180 pounds and really? jacked. Yeah, I mean that's wow. that's um. Well, they feed you and they work, yeah they, they work feed out, you right? and you work out. But yeah. that's that's push ups, sit ups, jumping jacks, side bends, squat thrusts, and like all those things. So it's without when you don't have the benefit to have weights with you um, or any of those things, it doesn't mean that. You can't train. I, I, I still am um, not a gym rat by any means, but I, I still do push-ups and, well, I can't do them sit-ups very well anymore. But um, <laughs> it, it's use your body uh, to, to train that way. So why resistance training? It is safe and effective for women and men of all ages, including those who are not in perfect health. In fact, people with health concerns, including individuals with chronic health issues, often benefit the most from an exercise program that includes weightlifting two to three times a week. Um, This is crazy. The average adult over the age of 40 loses 3 to 8% muscle mass per decade. Hmm. So use it or lose it. something to look forward to. (laughs) (laughs) Jeez. Went on the way to nothing over here. So two to three times a week, uh, resistance training can result in increased strength, increased dynamic balance, uh, increased lean muscle mass, a decrease in fat mass, uh, increased metabolism, post-training. Have you guys ever noticed that? Whenever you do any sort of any sort of exercising, you're 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 hungry as hell when you're hungry. Hungry. Um, Improve muscle protein synthesis, increase in insulin sensitivity, a decrease in glucose sensitivity. Um, so that's why resistance training is recommended for people with diabetes. Um, and again, we're not talking about lifting 500 pounds. We're talking about basically just using your body um, and, and, and lifting push-ups, sit-ups, squats. Unless you weigh 500 pounds. Sure. And then you would be lifting yeah, 500 pounds. But start start small. It's progressive as you get stronger. How do, do you guys ever, like, try planking? Yeah. Um, planking, it's like, harder than yeah, it looks simple. And it, harder and I guarantee works. that if you've never planked, well, I shouldn't say that it's hard to do a minute. Yeah. It, it's very difficult, but the core body strength and unfortunately my wonky foot, it makes planking very difficult because it's not flexible anymore. But in what I have done, like you can feel your core strength struggle yeah. after, a, after a minute a and bit. you start to shake, but it, it's like, that's very simple. Start to do that. Um, just, you know, yeah. 10 seconds, 10 20 seconds, 30 seconds and, and slowly work it up. And, you know, that's, Slowly, yeah. that's that's the recommendation for everything, right? Do if you can't do a push up, you do the knee push up, and then you do one to five, twenty, and the next thing you know, you're doing, you know, whatever. If as long as you're con- resistance training is just like anything else. As long as you're consistent with it, you'll see the gains. Mm. Um, you eat an elephant one bite at a time. One bite at a time. One Another bite. benefit of resistance training is bone health. Increased bone mineral density slows down osteoporosis. Uh, mentally improves mental health, decreased symptoms of depression and anxiety, increased energy levels, decreased feelings of fatigue. Also helps your heart, lowers your blood pressure, decreases your resting heart rate, uh, and has a positive effect on your cholesterol levels. Do you guys know what your resting heart rate is off the top of that? I'm going to, uh, this is me bragging, but <clears throat> no I clue. actually do uh, 78 beats per minute, really? I believe. Yeah. Um, so it, I have been up when I was a little bit heavier, up to ninety some beats per minute, which is not healthy. No. Um, so, I, I just actually had a complete physical, so I have current information. But mm, okay. yeah, yeah, mine's mine's fifty two. Holy, are you? Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. And it's, what's funny is I have a, I have a, a, a low resting heart rate, but my blood pressure was high. Hmm. So that's interesting. You know they're not. Yeah, yeah. it's weird. Hmm. Um, a positive effect on cholesterol levels. Uh, increases breakdown of abdominal fats. Um, 12 weeks of resistance training can decrease localized fat mass around the waist by 7%. As you know, guys, we get it right here, right? We get those love handles, and it's almost impossible to get rid of once you get uh, past a certain age. Uh, hip and bone, hip and spine bone density increases 1% um, after a year of resistance training. So, again, guys, resistance training doesn't mean going out and buy 500 pounds of, of free weights, um, unless you want to. But, um, you know, it's just like anything else. Start start simply. You know, we're not medical professionals here. Um, 
but the recommendation would be to start small, small bite-sized uh, increments, 10 minutes a day of doing some, some push-ups, some deep knee bends, some lunges. Uh, and if you keep it up, over time, you, you might want to go and invest in a gym membership or, or buy some, some actual free weights. But it's, it's very beneficial for us to be stronger. Um, oh, I can't think of the guy's name off the top of my head, but he said basically strong people are harder to kill. Hey, that's, so, that's true. That's true. And, you know, um, I'm, I'm trying to improve myself uh, on some of this stuff. So I, as you guys have heard me talk about on other episodes, I, I took a more serious approach to my health overall. But now I've started um, doing push-ups again. And I, I want to work to uh, do sit-ups again as i got a faint glimpse of some abs that have been buried for like 20 years. But I'm, I'm now also at the exact weight that I got out of the Marine Corps at, um, but I'm not at the exact strength. So it, it's um, when we give this advice, it is to get you to start to be inspired to try to improve yourselves. Um, this all ties together. It, being an honorable man in society means that you have to be a strong man to be able to protect and defend and survive. And like, I'm starting to see that more. Like, I, it's important to me that I'm strong enough in, in any situation. And um, none of us are small people in, in this room um, overall. So we're, we're all Big, bigger, stronger uh, guys, but if we're not staying on top of it, holy shit, I don't know what the exact percentage of muscle mass that he just said. Um, three day percent per three decade. Three day percent per 40. decade. And I'm halfway through my <laughs> 40s, and that really bothers me. So, um, hey, I'm working on improving myself, and I hope you guys out there are working on improving yourself as well. Mark Ripito. Uh, Mark Ripito. Um, strong people are harder to kill than weak people and more useful in general. <laughs> that, that I love true. that. More it, useful in general. And you know, one one thing I see all the time is is now that we've gotten into this like metrosexual huh. beta male society, um, in I don't want to say directly, but somebody I'm related to um, has a new boyfriend out in Oregon, and he, <laughs> man. It's like you can look at these people and be like, "How are you going to defend her if something comes up?" And so you got to at least have that mind you, you in know, there. That's a good point. I I just like to say, you know, in all joking aside, when you're talking about weighing 500 pounds, at one point in my life, I weighed over 660 pounds. What? Yeah, and I, and I had a gastric bypass that that saved my life, and I've been able to maintain about 280, but. What I'm telling you is that one of the things that you, well, at least back then, I don't know if they still do, but I think it, the the components are very similar, is that you have to lose 10% of your body weight as a sign of good faith that you're going to be, you know, adhere no, to the... you can have surgery, yeah. Yeah. So for oh, me, that okay. was that was about 70 pounds. Ooh, yeah, that's not easy. And, and so... What I'm, I am sitting here living proof testimonial telling you that it started with me, like literally, like I would break a sweat and I couldn't walk up steps to, okay, I'm going to literally walk or try to walk around my block to, I'm going to try to do some push-ups against the wall to you in, in you, you're consistent and you work at it and you get the little W's that add up to the big W's and, um, you know, I, I know Tim and Ed pretty well, and they they don't take well, nor do I, to BS um, uh, when it well, comes to, you know, doing these kind of things. So but I just want to say, as a testimony, as a living proof, it is possible. That, you, that should be applauded, man. Yeah, 660 definitely. pounds to 280. I had a gastric bypass, so that, that helped. But, but, but I know plenty of people that have had gastric bypass. But, and it's been yeah. like 13 years. No, and, but and, they, and I've just... They have just blown right through that. Yeah, and, and dude... Oh, you know, yeah, seriously. I, I have only... I've, I realized... Like, I literally almost died. And we, we had an episode where we talked about, uh, you know, near-death experiences and stuff like that. But, like, I literally almost died. That was this episode. This episode? <laughs> this episode? Yeah, I don't know. They all kind of run together, don't they? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but I... You know, I and I can tell you, like, literal visions I had of God and, like, being in a position where, you know, jokingly, uh, you know, they say, hell, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And I always say, gee, I hope it's not a train. But uh, there's always, like, I literally near-death experiences like Mr. Rickenbacker. But it, be consistent 
and and I'm telling you, and these guys are also going to tell you also, is the idea that where we're at in this point in history, what like what Tim said, what Ed said about being strong. And being strong isn't just about physically strong. It's about being spiritually strong, emotionally strong, uh-huh. mentally strong, and being consistent with these little things. You know, the Bible says if you are faithful with the little things, God will give you more. And, <clears throat> excuse me, it's, so just to encourage people, I am sitting here as living proof that you can do it. If I can do it, I, I'm literally, I'm nobody. I don't think much of myself, period. But if I can do it, you can do it. And if that's, you need to lose five pounds, you need to lose 50 pounds, or you need to lose, you know, like almost 400 pounds, you eat a elephant one bite at a time. So I, um, one thing that I noticed in my, my own personal journey over this, the last, um, eight to 10 months is once you stick to it and you start to see progress, it becomes much more fulfilling and you can see that goal. And just the fact that you lost 70 pounds to, to get to a point where you could have a gastric bypass, like, man, that's not easy. Well, and, and you see, like, we're, we're almost neighbors, and you yeah, see Yeah, every, no, I, every day walking by, I, yeah. I wave to you, but Bill's bl- blind in one eye, so he never waves well, back. I always no, wave. I know. He's, he's waving. But <laughs> he's waving. doesn't I, know if anybody's I'll there seriously, not, I, know, sitting, I know, but. I'll be sitting on my front porch, and Bill will be waving, and I wave back, and I yell, and he's got headphones in, and he just keeps waving and walking. It's, that's, it's entertaining. That's my but, morning routine. No, yeah. but he, he does, and, and um, so he literally walks that walk but it's uh it's important it doesn't matter where you're at on the health spectrum what's important is starting small and and doing something and it's not just sitting and continuing down uh the path that's going to lead you to failure in in any sort of situation that goes south here um in our society so men we need you we need we need strong healthy healthy men and it's more important too to make sure that we are molding uh young strong healthy men and that they don't go through the same mistakes like dude i got up to 230 pounds and you know i'm that was pretty heavy for me, and now I'm uh, down to 185. So oh, that's I, I even applaudable. Yeah, but it's um, the, the, what the frustrating part is like. Why did I? You know, COVID played a lot into that because. Uh, but why did I let myself get to that point? And then you start thinking. With that mindset, it's like, man, I got to do something about that. I hope everybody out there is thinking about that because I can't stress enough, man. We need you. We need yeah. you. Don't dig your grave with a spoon. Let yeah. let the government. Di- Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. No. Good it. stuff. No. Great. You're exactly right. I mean, so you know, do something hard every day. Do something that uh, that, that uh, steals your mental toughness. Do something that um, steals your body for the fight to come. Um, but yeah, you're right. We we need you guys. We need every each and every one of you guys out there that is that is along on this journey with us to to be uh, mentally, physically tough, strong. Yep. I mean, and spiritually, spiritually yeah. is very important too. I'd, so. I'd even argue that's probably the most. Yeah, I, I absolutely think that um, that is step one in in your journey to uh, living an honorable lifestyle. Yeah. So speaking of honorable, let's talk about dishonorable. What well, do you got, Tim? This one comes to us out of Beechwood, Ohio. (laughs) Naked man in car crash arrested in Beechwood, Ohio. How are you going to do Mr. Rickenbacker like that? (laughs) He's Columbus. Columbus. (laughs) He's Ohio. (laughs) Ohio. There's 11 million people that live here, right? Hey, so (laughs) mothers everywhere used to warn their children to wear clean underwear in case they got into an accident. But this guy apparently did not. Get that message. I thought that's what an accident was. <laughs> uh, clean underwear in the glove box. Uh, anyway, police arrested a man they said was running naked from the scene of a car crash near Cleveland on Wednesday. WEWS TV station news reports. The nude man, to be fair, he was wearing a pair of socks. <laughs> so he, he was either the driver or the passenger in a blue Ford Taurus that collided with another car at 2 a.m. in Beechwood, Ohio. Cops charged the man, Toriano Brown, with driving under the influence of drugs or alcohol reckless dri- and reckless driving. His passenger, Willie Chandler, was busted for alleged weapons possession, but the police wouldn't say which one of them was in the buff. There are no public nudity charges, but the incident calls to mind a long list of things that you cannot do naked, such as a woman who exposed her 
itself on her daughter's school bus and a man who went fishing in his birthday suit. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> they have nudist camps, people, or these colonies that you can go. I mean, if you really need to be nude, and and that's your that's your bag. I mean, I have questions. One was naked. One was yeah. not naked. Yeah. It's two a.m. Hey, if you um. Man, wear clothes in if, when you're driving. Nobody wants to see that stuff. Because uh, what happens if you get in an accident and now, holy shit, I'm naked. Yeah. i got to get out of here. Now you're a naked man running down the road and you also get caught by police. So that's not a very honorable way to uh, live. One time when I was a police officer, I pulled over. Like this chick was swerving. So I pulled her over and she had spilled coffee on her shirt is what she told me i think this is true <laughs> but i walk up there and she's got no shirt on and i'm like ma'am like you don't have a shirt on she's like oh my god i was changing but just something simple like that um, where were the body cams back then <laughs> yeah, no, she was actually not bad looking um <laughs> and if if uh, you've ever been to south phoenix in uh, in the the ghettos of south phoenix there's very few and far between but either way um <laughs> your mothers have told you wear clean underwear just in case you get into a car accident and die that's uh, probably their their most mortifying thing is uh those those skid marks or something but holy shit, wear clothes completely. I, you never, I don't know why, but I think it was George Carlin who said the one thing you will never see a man do in your entire life is run full speed, butt naked, and take a dump at the same time. That is, I don't know if that's possible. Mm, I guess it is possible. Uh, it's like sneezing with your eyes open. <laughs> I'm just saying, I don't know why my mind goes to weird places. But. Hey, overall, wear freaking clothes in public. I was just, I had a conversation with somebody um, last night about the, the, the YMCA. <laughs> no, this was about the YMCA um, here locally, and oh. man, the... It's a weird. So many stories. It's about a life. weird place. It's like these. These aren't like fit young men. Like not that I would have a preference of men to look at naked, but they are. <laughs> well, hey, Marines are the gayest straight people you ever meet. Uh, I'll tell you that. But the. Um, these are like 75-year-old naked men, but they just walk around naked throughout the locker room, sit and read a newspaper naked, to go into the sauna there sometime, and they will sit there and have a conversation with you, butt-ass naked, like they have their clothes on. I'm like, dude... Don't freaking talk to me right now. Like, so apparently, I'm, I, apparently, I'm not as uptight as Tim is because I've spent I've spent a lot of time. As, Actually, so this, I, I've seen Ed there. That was before this, I met him. <laughs> this particular YMCA has a huge locker room. Yeah, it is. Huge. This locker room has Nautilus equipment, pool tables, a steam sauna, hot tub, shower. Big. It's big. Punching there. Bag. There are elderly gentlemen that come to the YMCA that go directly into that locker room, and that that they never leave there. They get their workout in there. Mm. There's a television. They read the paper. They play pool. All things naked. All, All naked. naked. Yep. All naked. Are they part of the Russian mob? That seems like something that. Yeah, it's right out of uh, like taking a, a schwitz and what's that? Uh, Eastern promises Eastern, or something. Eastern, yeah. Hey, when when I go movie. there, like I go to my my <laughs> locker, I freaking change. I'll be naked. I'll put a towel on. Go to the shower. I take like there. There's times when you can be naked, but playing pool, reading a newspaper, and talking to me in the freaking sauna for any reason. I mean, playing when, pool, it's not like you're Tommy Lee or anything. Uh, well... Yeah. Again, yeah. I don't have a problem with I, I, trust me, when I'm eighty years old and if I'm if I if I make it to eighty year, years old and I'm up at the Y I might be walking around the general area and <laughs> the track. And by that time they might uh, they might let you Yeah, they might well, <laughs> well all you gotta do is hey, claim dementia or whatever. Yeah, yeah, Biden it. <laughs> all right, so. Biden is naked right now yeah. talking to Putin probably. Naked in the face. Snippy some poor little six-year-old girl. Oh, Jesus. Uh, this episode's call to action, guys, is to exemplify the four cornerstones of character as uh, so eloquently put by Eddie Rickenbacker. The four cornerstones of character on which the structure of this nation was built are initiative, imagination, individuality, and independence. So in, in all things, in all things you come across, uh, initiative, imagination, individuality, and independence. I think any man of honor, any honorable man uh, could choose those four to be the bedrock of his character and, and be well off for it. Guys, any thoughts on that? Hey, I, I will say that, you know, in, in reading that and learning about um, Eddie Rickenbacker, like, holy cow, what a, just an amazing man. Um, but that, that first one, initiative, you know, I'm, a, I'm an I'm an employer, um, so I own um, a couple of different companies. And initiative is something that is uh, 
terribly lacking in today's society. We're, we drilled it out of our children. Oh, dude, it's a, um, and you know, in the Marine Corps, and like I'm a Marine Corps infantry squad leader, like initiative is a, the main thing you're looking for, and it's something that you always have to have in leadership. But today's society has become lazy, and they don't take initiative. I see it, like I work with homeless veterans. I, I see it in government positions. They could have all the answers in the world on the left, they're only paid to the right. They're not taking the initiative to even glance over there. And man, we're failing with that. So it's it's standing up. Just do something. Take initiative. If you see a problem, don't wait around for somebody to come and tell you, hey, the, this garbage is spilled all over or something as simple as that. Don't wait around for somebody to tell you to do the right thing. Do the right thing. Take initiative and, and get out there. But those other points of imagination, individuality, and independence, you know, they're all equally important, um, but I, I've definitely identified as a, a society that's lacking initiative. We are taking initiative just by uh, doing this podcast. Um, Ed has started, you know, our, our social group that this is a spinoff of, and he's taken that initiative. Um, Bill has taken initiative by getting his word out there uh, and through his book, which is also available on Amazon. That'll be in, in the links, but it's, man, do something. There's a big difference between an activist and an actionist. Uh, be an actionist. Go out and go out and do something. Don't wait around for us to or anybody to tell you it needs to be done. If you're listening to this podcast, you want to be or are a man of honor, an honorable man. You're trying to get better every day. We we hopefully give you some actionable information, some tips in order to help you along that path. But Tim's right. Go start your own social club of like-minded individuals. Start your own podcast. Start a blog. We need more guys that think the way we do, more like-minded men, more honorable men. We need their voices heard in this country because we're being shouted down by the enemy. We're being shouted down. We're losing the battle of information um, when it comes to uh, left versus right. Yeah, absolutely. And for every one of us in their in this room, they they have this system of indoctrination of of raising worker bees and a compliant society. They've created a thousand of those for every one of us in this room. So we will lose that. We will lose the war if we're not out there being proactive and and taking initiative and having imagination. Like just this podcast being born, you know that took a little bit of imagination uh, to to bring that. And obviously, we have a whole lot of individuality and independence uh, in this room. So, um, but again, do something, just do something. So, so somebody that took initiative is Tim when he started Patch Ops. I'm proud to, to sponsor this podcast, or I'm proud to have them as the sponsor of this pro- podcast, Tim. Patch Ops, patchops.com. We have the baddest patches and decals on the planet. Um, we're Veteran-owned, we just added a Army veteran um, who happens to be Ed's cousin. He is now our director of art operations. He's an extremely, extremely skilled artist, but he is also a Army combat veteran. So we have um, Army and Navy infantry running this this company, and uh, it, it definitely comes out in our products. So check us out. Um, Patchops, patchops.com, at Patch Operations on Instagram, at Patch Operations on Twitter, and at Patch Ops on so, Facebook. That, thank you very much. And speaking of initiative, uh, producer Bill wrote a book. I did. I read the book. I read did. the book. I read yeah. the book. I bought multiple copies. I made my yeah, kid read the book. Now I'm waiting for the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Starring, <laughs> starring Marky Mark is me. Um, <laughs> oh, wait. That's, uh, an- wait. Uh, that's another biopic. Um, I don't understand why you guys are laughing. No. Uh, uh, go ahead and plug away, Bill. Uh, but, you know, just we uh, appreciate Mark, you guys Mark. letting me tag along. And, you know, please check out the podcast that uh, I'm doing also, uh, Flawcast, Flawcast CLE, anywhere you can listen to podcasts. Uh, it's on Rumble. Sort of on YouTube, we, it's not being censored. Uh, that's under Flawed Inc. Uh, yeah, give, we're them, on, give them a brief, what, what's your podcast about? So we get into way more specific political and spiritual things. Uh, right now, we've been on this kind of trajectory where we're trying to give people tools for the coming storm. I'm going to word it that way. Uh, you know, if anybody that knows me knows I, I am very realistic in what I think the future is going to hold. And I think we largely have a hand in shaping that. I believe, uh, you know, the Bible says that, or my people perish for a lack of knowledge. We try to give spiritual and uh, just practical awakening and, and tools that, 
like Tim said earlier, like the most important element is a spiritual element. So like this episode that's going to be coming out, we talk about the clip, the Kipling method, um, which should help you use some things to deduce what's going on. What the, what, why, when, where, and how's on how to deduce things and lead you to a path of truth. So, uh, you know, we appreciate the subscribes. We appreciate the shares and, the the reason I think our partnership works so well is because we are very like-minded. We're very yoked in that regard. Um, you know, I was going to say with the eyes, uh, I believe independence for me is the most important. Uh, Galatians 1.5 says it's for freedom. Christ set us free. So if we don't have independence, and I agree with initiative and, and, and the other ingenuity and all the uh, imagination, but we need to remain free. And one of the things we talk about a lot on our podcast is eschatology, which is a study of end times, which I personally believe, not to get too heavy, we're going into that. And it's about arming yourself and arming your spirit that, you know, you talk about the enemy. Well, who is that enemy? Are you on that enemy side? Are you on the good guy's side? So, and, and you know, as we've talked in other episodes, history changes on who that is. But there's truth. And there's always consistency in truth. So that's the primary goal. Hey, excellent, excellent podcast, excellent book. Um, Bill is a, an extremely well-thought, well-researched individual, and it shines in both his writings and his oratory skills. And um, he's also one hell of a producer. So shout-out to mm. producer Bill. Well, and easy you. on the eyes. And easy on Aww, the eyes. Mm. All right, thanks, stop. guys. Uh, thanks to the listener. Uh, without you, uh, None of this is, is uh, worth a hill of beans, I guess. Um, check us out on various socials. We're on Gab. What are we on Facebook? We are The Honorable Man Podcast on Facebook, uh, www.thehonorablemanpodcast.com. Hey, I'm even going to throw out our emails. I am the Baron at thehonorablemanpodcast.com. Ed is Ed at the <laughs> at, I got to get a title, man. Hey, I, gotta, I paid for it. I paid for it. Um, but Ed at thehonorablemanpodcast.com. If you guys have any topics or um, issues or, or a man of honor throughout history that you'd like us to discuss, we're always open to ideas. Uh, so hit us up. Hit us up directly. Don't talk too much shit, though, because we like to talk back. Because we'll find you. Yeah, and, and we'll find guys, you. Guys, the world needs honorable men more than ever. It's time to get out there, step up, get involved, and be honorable. Thanks, guys. See you next week.